musicians. As I spent a lot of my time here in the early years when I had hair. You remember? Hair today and gone tomorrow. There you go. But uh, things, some things never change. God is faithful. God is good. Some things change. By the time you get to my age, you have really bad dad jokes. How do you get the attention of a country girl? A tractor. I'll stop with the dad jokes. Uh, the church I'm based in at the moment, I can't preach without dad jokes first. I went to the doctor the other day and I said, Doctor, you've got to understand obesity runs in our family. He said, Sir, looking at you, nobody runs in your family. And so I thought, that's not very good, you know. So. But I have many fond memories of this church, uh, the altar calls, the times and presence of God, watching this church go through many different eras and seasons, uh, many, many memories. And, uh, you know, when you get to my age, as a Christian, we should have four looks of faith. When I started off, I had an inward look of faith for motivation. What's the why behind my what? Why do I do what I do? But I had an upward look for revelation, to hear his voice and not just be a churchian. I'll talk about that in a moment. But now in my latter years, I look back for confirmation if he did it then he can do it now as you see the stories all over your life and I can look ahead with expectation and I'm very grateful today that I'm still standing I must apologize I might get a bit teary this morning as today is the seventh anniversary of my son's death seven years ago today I woke up this morning texting my family my grandchildren and I want to tell you, the pain is deep. It never goes away. Killed by a lightning strike seven years ago today. How do you still stand? How do you keep going? Well, I'll tell you, pretend church doesn't do it. You've got to have an authentic faith. A few years ago, I made a decision. I wouldn't waste my life just being a churchian. A churchian is a churchgoer, but a Christian is a Christ follower. A churchian is easily offended, but a Christian is easily extended. I realized years ago that God allows problems in the church so that we can grow and become like Him. If we don't have challenges, how are we going to grow? How are the fruits of the Spirit going to grow if we've got nothing to forgive? And I've discovered over the years I don't want to just be a churchian because that doesn't help me in my grief. A churchian is church attending, which is great. It's better than not. But a Christian is Christ resembling. And I never thought after losing a son, sitting with people, I work in the secular world a little bit as a consultant and I work with people, business people that are not Christians and they say, how can you still believe in God after what you've been through? And I've been able to say to people, you know, we can go through life not having all the answers. But can I tell you the ones I do have? And I stand there or sit there and share the things I know that are my life convictions that cannot be changed. And they look at me and go, wow, never thought of that. When my son passed away, I thought I could never preach again. 
I felt, what do I tell people? What hope do I give people? Where does my life go now? And for a few months, I couldn't even open my Bible. Just didn't know where to turn. One day, by the side of my bed, I said, God, just knelt down by my bed and I said, God, I, I don't understand, but I trust you. And inside my head, a thought came that was so strong. And it was, and I trust you. I thought, wow, you trust me. What do you trust with me with? That you won't give up. Because I knew you were going to go through this when I called you. And I discovered all of a sudden that the things that really mattered, that I could count on in one hand, were very real. My salvation the call of God to ministry, the miraculous way He led us to Pioneer Edge Church. And there was just time after time of not just coincidences, but God incidences. And I knew there was too much to give away because of this over here that pained me. And I said to God, I hope you don't mind. I hope you don't mind. But Chris was 39 when he died. I'm just going to go to Psalm 39. I don't know where to turn. And I opened up Psalm 39 and verse 4 says, Lord, show me how short my life will be. My life is but a breath. I bawled my eyes out and I said, God, I give up. I trust you. I didn't know that I was going to pray with over 2,000 people that have lost their children. In one weekend in Africa, 300 parents that had lost their children. I didn't know that was going to be part of my journey. And yet today I want to say with all my heart that I'm so grateful that even though I walk with a limp, God is faithful. God is faithful. I remember the night when I was just sitting at home after a church service and we had a man staying with us called Rick Shelton from America, from St. Louis. December 2015. He'd been preaching that night at David Hall's, I think, and he was staying with us and he came in from prayer, walking the streets that night and said to me, it was 11 o'clock at night, I'll never forget it. He goes, sit down, I've got a word from God for you. He said, within three days from now, people are going to ring you from all over the world under the age of 30, some maybe 35, but under 40, and they're going to ask you to be a spiritual dad to them. He said, Really? Three days to the day, the phone started ringing. It's never stopped from all around the world. God's given me an army of sons and daughters. But in 2016, on this day, seven years ago, my son gets killed. So I lose my natural son. I gain spiritual sons and daughters. Can you imagine living with that tension? How do you keep going? James chapter 1 this morning, verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. My faith has been tested. My endurance has grown. But I feel I don't need anything anymore. I feel like I don't need anything. You come to a place where your endurance goes, God, 
I live from eternity, not for eternity. We come from eternity. And I want to live with the accent of home. My dad's been in Australia 66 years. He's still talking like this, you know. How are you today? Very nice day today. Beautiful day today. When someone rings to talk to him, he goes, hello. Which one do you speak? In other words, who is it? Now, when you listen to my dad, you're not going to think he's Asian. When you listen to my dad, you're not going to think he's from the Philippines. Why? Because his accent gives him away. When you drive into my dad's house and you go into the back kitchen, you don't smell dim sims cooking. You smell pasta and sauce. Why? Because his world defines where he comes from. You always know Italian house because all the, all the vegetables are grown in the front garden. He told me yesterday, got plenty of room in the front, plant some tomatoes, do so, use my yard. It's a different type of landscaping. The big white pillars on the fence. So my dad's culture and his accent show us where he's from. And in the book of Philippians, it says we're not from here. Paul's writing from prison and we need to have the accent of heaven. And I've decided through loss and pain that I'm going to be a person that's not a churchian because that's not going to help people. Sermons I've heard other people preach did not help me when my son died. I said to God one day, where do I go to? Where do I go to doctors, psychologists? Where do I go to get help? And in my head came these words, you judge it today. He said, what about listening to all the sermons you've preached to everybody else? Ooh, because if they're not going to work for you, they never would have worked for anybody else. And I remember saying, I don't know where to turn. And in, in the early days of ministry, I used to write my sermons out by hand. We didn't have iPads and iPhones, and I had boxes of sermons in my study. I went into my study, and I pulled out a message. The very first message I pulled out was the second message I ever preached. Stay in the boat in the midst of a storm. Paul is en route to Rome, gets caught in a storm, stands up in the boat and gives instructions. And as I read that message with tears running down my face, I said, okay, okay, I will keep walking in this posture. And I am so grateful today for God's goodness in Psalm 125 verse 1. Those who trust in the Lord are as secure as Mount Zion, they will not be defeated but will endure. And so I realized seven years ago that life was going to be different for me. It was going to change a lot of things, but I needed to not bleed with my pain. I needed to bless with my pain. And so in 2016, our eldest son passed away on this day. In 2017, I was taken to hospital and had to have immediate bowel surgery they thought I had a calcinoid, a malignant growth in my abdomen and they operated and it wasn't malignant so didn't have to have chemo but had to have a lot of treatment. Just got over that in 2018 and I get diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer. That was four years ago. I'm sure you wouldn't blame me for saying enough please. 
But you know, people go through a lot worse than I went through and I wasn't ready for what was about to happen. And this morning, I hope you don't mind, I'm just sharing a bit of my testimony because I haven't seen some of you for a long time and I pray the Holy Spirit will really touch you today with some of the truths that came my way in my pain. I was out of church for nine months. I had to have over 24 units of blood because I had to keep having blood transfusions because they didn't know where the blood was going and they called my wife in and they started to talk to her about life support if I wasn't going to pull through. And I thought, how did we get here? I can tell you anything you want about any hospital in Adelaide, I've been to most of them. And all of them have bad food. I mean, I can tell you that, the food's not good. And I remember the day when they came in, sat my wife and I down and said, look, this might not be good. You need to get your home in order and you need to sort things out. It took me about 20 minutes to come to grips with it and then all of a sudden, my wife's sitting there and I just start bawling. She goes, are you okay? I said, yeah. I can't describe the peace that I'm feeling right now. I'm not crying out of fear. I'm crying out of this sense of peace I can't describe. I felt also, we often talk about God's presence. All I knew, this is the only way I could describe it to you, is I felt that God was present. Sometimes we're looking for a feeling or goosebumps or whatever. All I knew is he was there. I can't tell you how I knew, but I knew. His peace and his presence. A nurse comes in and he goes, what's the aura in this room? I had my Bible next to me on my little sort of side table. She goes, you don't still believe in that, do you? She had heard about our son through a nurse that worked with her that was on the same floor that was from Edge Church. She goes, how can you still believe in that? And I just looked at her and I said, do you believe in the resurrection? She goes, what's that? She says, is that the Easter story? I said, yeah, sort of. I started to talk to her. She goes, wow. I said, see, I believe in eternity. And we're passing through here. We're all going. And I believe in eternal life. My son the day he died, he was supposed to preach that night. He wrote a message in the morning to speak that night about keeping your eyes on eternity and he died 2.30 that afternoon. A life committed to eternity because we're all going to die. And as I got sharing with her, she starts to cry and she goes, I'm glad you didn't tell me that if I gave my life to God, everything was going to be awesome because my husband walked out of me and my brother recently died of cancer. Don't give me that crap. And I said, I wouldn't, because I never came to Christ because he does everything. I came to him because he's the truth. After a few more minutes of speaking, she said to me, can I give you a hug? And the nurse comes and gives me a hug. She's crying, I'm crying. And I realized in that moment that I don't need one of these to have a purpose. I don't need one of these to have a purpose. I couldn't even get to church. I had peace. He was present, but I had purpose. So a guy comes in to bring my food. I've got chemo now going into my veins. I've all done up hospital look. And I'm there and he walks in. He goes, are you Danny Gould? I go, yeah, I am. He goes, I used to be in your youth group at Paradise. He goes, my life is so effed up and he's swearing his head off. And he's going, I'm on drugs. I, I, I can hardly survive. I'm just barely keeping down a job. And how can your God be real? 
in my life because I think I've done too much bad. And there I am with tubes in my arm, talking to this guy, offering to pray with him without one of these, without an altar call, because God can alter your call without an altar call. And so I realize that if I've got his peace, if he's present and my purpose is still there, then I'm living from eternity no matter what. I went from sickness to sickness, from infection. I picked up a CMV virus, which ended up taking most of the sight out of my right eye. And it just went from bad to worse. And I was ready to go. I'm going, Lord, I'm ready to go, but I'm going to live as if I'm here forever. I'm actually now in St. Andrew's Hospital and I get a phone call from New Zealand, Pastor Tark Barner. He said, Danny, we got a conference in Christchurch that you were supposed to be the speaker at and you can't come. Could you record a message in hospital? And I get, I'm only in my pyjamas. I got my wife to go and get me some jeans at home, come back and in the chapel at St. Andrew's Hospital, I get up and I start preaching and there's only me and a cameraman in the chapel and as I'm preaching I'm prophesying down the camera to pastors and I'm crying the cameraman's crying and the presence of God what was present in that room with an empty chairs and I'm going wow what's going on here the cameraman's going what is happening here the next day the Christ Church massacre happened the very next day I get a phone call the following day from Pastor Tark he says, we can't show the video. We've had to cancel the conference because you see, we can't gather in public gatherings because of the massacre and there's not enough police force to, to, to guard gatherings. We have to cancel the conference. Now, you can imagine, I'm feeling the presence of God. I'm prophesying down the camera and now everything goes crazy. See, the will of God's never A, B, C, D. It's sometimes A, Z, L, N, O. But we will get to the destination if we trust. My greatest definition of faith for my life is not all this sort of blabbing and grabbing stuff. It's just trust. My faith journey is I trust a God that knows what I don't know. He is sovereign. If I can't trust his sovereignty, I'll never have clarity. And he asked me one day, will you trust my sovereignty when you don't have clarity? So I'm messed up. I'm thinking, is this all real? Is it all psychosomatic stuff? What is it? Five weeks later, I get another phone call. We went back down to Christchurch and we got the pastors together and had the conference and started the conference with your message. Everything you said on your message wouldn't have made sense before the massacre. But a day later, uh, six weeks later, it all makes sense. God is awesome. I then went back and had another stint in hospital and I get a phone call one day while I'm in, I think this was Ashford Hospital now, one of those. I went, did the rounds depending on what kind of treatment they were giving me. And I get a phone call from a guy in Zurich. He goes, we know you're sick, but we've got this strong sense that you need to come to Zurich just for two days. Speak at our national youth conference. There was about 4,000 young people. And he goes, we're not, we, just want, we just know you're the person. I said, but I'm too sick. He goes, we're going to believe that God's going to speak to you and somehow we're going to get you here. And as I was praying in the hospital, I felt the sense I've got to go. 
It just happened that the day I was being released on the Thursday, I could have flown out on the Friday. My wife goes, you're nuts. My daughter goes, you can't. You've just had chemotherapy. I said, I just know I've got to go. I know I have to go. And she went and got insurance so she could come and take me home if something happened. And, and, and to cut a long story short for the sake of the length of this morning, I ended up catching a plane here in Adelaide. I was sick as a dog. They had a nurse looking after me, that, a person that was on the plane that could take care of me. I, was, I, was, uh, I had a, a bacterial infection at this time that they were treating as a viral one and they weren't getting to the problem. So I arrive in Zurich and I land in Zurich and the pastors meet me at the airport and they're in tears. I said, is everything okay? I said, while you were flying here, our worship pastor, 35 years old, died. And we, she was going to lead worship for the conference. Don't worry, they didn't ask me to lead. But um, <laughs> he says, we've never had a death amongst our young people. You lost your son. Now we know why you're here. Could you talk to us about grief and pain? And working your life through all that pain. I cried through most of it through an interpreter and he was crying too. Two days, came home and I knew why I had to go. I want to tell you, in the midst of all the pain. And so, my purpose never left. The peace never left. God's presence never left. But I'll tell you what next. It was his power for me to do all that he'd called me to do. His power never left. And then this is what happened to me. I felt God say, you need to travel around and teach the church on how to live with contrasts. How to live with contrast. Because our life is not about everything going great all the time, but he's great all the time. And in the midst of all the stuff, we can still work. And churchianity won't do that for you, but Christianity will. And I'll read to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 8. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored even though we are well known. We live close to to death but we are still alive we've been beaten but we have not been killed our hearts ache but we always have hope and joy we are poor but we give spiritual riches to others we own nothing and yet we have everything the power of the Christian life is being able to live with contrast can we live with blessing and burden affirmation and attack comfort and crisis pain and purpose faith and frustration patience and persistence clarity and confusion joy and sadness hurt and hope supernatural breakthroughs and God's silence. And I realized all of a sudden that life is not about everything going right. It's about having the power of God in your life. You see, my mind goes back to the first time I was called into the ministry. The first time I was, it was evident that I was called. I went and saw Pastor Andrew Evans and I said, Pastor Andrew, I really feel this sense that what you're telling me is true because you'd already told me the call of God was on my life. And by that time, we had two little boys. And I said to him, I said, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere just as long as I don't lose one of my kids. Two minutes after saying it, I realized, how can I put conditions on God? It's either all or nothing. I remember going back and apologizing and saying, sorry, Lord. 
whatever, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, I'm not divorcing you. You sign the wedding certificate with your blood. You ain't divorcing me. And I realized as a 27-year-old, 28-year-old, that I couldn't put conditions on a call that came looking for me. I didn't go looking for it. And so when my son died at his funeral, one of the pastors of one of the largest churches in the world came up to me at his funeral and said, I could never do this anymore. If that was one of my kids taken, I'd give up. I felt like saying, thank you for the encouragement. <laughs> Bless you, got another word for me? And in everything inside of, see, there's two Dannys. There's the reason, Danny, which is our flesh. And then there's the revelation, Danny, the one that's had a revelation of who God is. The one you feed is the one that rules. On an Indian reservation one time, a little boy said to his granddad, or his granddad, sorry, said to his grandson, you know, grandson, there's two wolves inside of us and they fight each other. And the little grandson said, when which one wins, grandpa? He said, the one you feed. And I find in churchianity, sometimes we feed our hurt, we feed our pain, we feed our mistreatment, and those things might all be true. My pain is true today. I feel the pain. I got up this morning at about six o'clock and I couldn't stop crying for about an hour. Now I'm standing here preaching hope. I'm not trying to be self-serving in saying that, other than to say, listen, we can live with contrasts if we're not just churchians, but we... Christians, I'm going to divert for a second because of time and say this prophetically because I think it's stuff you can talk about later, is when COVID happened, I felt God prepare me and saying Christians are not going to handle this properly. And I'm telling you, I'm ashamed of how all of us as Christians handled the whole COVID story. A time when the gospel could have shone. A time when light could have shone through the darkness. We all got divided over all kinds of aspects of that story. And I remember the Holy Spirit saying to me, there's going to be four responses to COVID. There's going to be church leavers. See, if all we are is churchians, you can take it or leave it. So people have left the church all over Australia, all over the world today, in the Western world, not countries where people suffer for their faith. They seek God even more. And so people go, oh, I just watch God online or watch sermons online. I don't need to go to church. And I felt God prepare me, there'd be church leavers. Then he said there'll be church cleavers. And they are the people that just want to stay churchian. They just want everything to be right at church. I need a youth group for my kids. I need something for my... And all those things are valid. But churchianity didn't keep me when my son died. I needed something a bit deeper. And this is what excited me, and I prophesy this is going to happen. You're going to see it with your own eyes, Rob. We're going to see it right across. There's going to come a new hunger for Christ following. There's a new hunger rising up in a new generation of teenagers that are rising up. I'm mentoring dozens of young people right now that don't want church politics. They don't want all that stuff. They just want to follow Christ, and they want to know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. My friend Shiv, who's covered in tattoos, and his arms are fatter than one of my legs, and, and and if you look at him, you get scared. And that kid is so come to Christ. He's a kid, he's 33, but he's not a kid. But just watching, discipling this guy in my home on a pretty well weekly basis, rings me every day, watching him grow, watching.
watching him. He works for the unions in Adelaide. And he's bringing union people to church every Sunday. People are coming to faith. Why? Because there's a new Christ seeking and there's a new Christ following instead of church leaving and church cleaving. If people have left, that's fine. We don't want them to. But if they do, let's not concentrate on who's left. We need to concentrate on who's coming because there's a Christ seeking and a Christ following. It's coming because Jesus said he would build his church. He didn't say, if you mess it up, I'll give it to the Mormons. He didn't say that. Or I'll give it to Hare Krishna. Tony Rainbow's got fairly long hair the other day. And someone came up to him in church and said, you look just like Jesus. And I turned around and said, no, I look just like Buddha. So you have to decide <laughs> which one you want to do. But you know, my friends, I want to say a couple more things. I, I, this first service, I'm sharing my testimony, really. When Chris died, his eldest son was 14. A couple of weeks after he died, his son wrote this. Everyone who is looking at this post right now, I want to ask a favour. Please cherish your fathers, not just today, but every day. Don't take them for granted. Cherish every moment you spend with him. Make jokes, build Lego and read stories. Watch movies, do whatever you like to do with your dad because he won't always be there I only had my dad for 14 years he passed away before he turned 40 and I wish I spent more time with him I wish I'd treasured him more I wish he didn't go I've written a poem for him and I'm sending it up to heaven for him to read it's called my father and it's about me having a conversation with my dad about him leaving us and going to heaven, and I'd like you to read it. Please, my father, I beg you to stay. Don't worry, Zeke. We'll meet again someday. Help me, father, I'm so upset. You were someone I'll never forget. Come, my father, we need you here. Don't worry, Zeke, I'm always near. Hey, my father, why'd you go? God has his reasons, you'll never know. Dear my father, you're forever in my heart. From this day forward, we will never drift apart. Goodbye, my father. You were my own. It's okay, Zeke. Daddy's home. 14. He's 21 right now. We had his 21st a couple of weeks ago. He looks like his dad. He hugs like his dad. When he hugs me and hangs on to me, it's like the hugs I used to get from his dad. I can't tell you the joy as a grandfather to go, he could have turned to drugs. He could have got mad at God. He could have done a lot of things, but chose to go on. Took him out to dinner one night and he goes, you know, no, no. Every time someone comes to our church, they prophesy over me that I'm going to finish the work my father started. He goes, but I don't know if that's just people wishing that because they loved my dad. But what about me? Do I have a say? And I said, you know, Zeke, God is so good, friend. I said, do you ever wake up in the night or during the day and get ideas and you write them down like thoughts? He goes, yeah, I do. I said, have you got any on your phone now? And he goes, yeah, I do. He pulls out his phone and he reads to me what I would call a sermon outline. I pulled out my phone and I said, have a look, turned on my phone. 
same message I had received that week in my devotions. I said, you see, sometimes God puts his hand on generations. And it's not that God wants you to do what your dad did. It's just it might be part of your calling too. Some tennis players, their parents were tennis players. Some racing car drivers, their parents were racing. It's not nepotism when it's a calling. And I said, Zeke, maybe God's got something on your life that's to continue the work your dad started. Now when he comes to visit, he pulls out his phone. Oh, I'm, doing, I'm doing the offering teachings on Sunday. Can I share with you what I got, you know? And I watch those kids. My granddaughter Trinity, who's going to be 19 soon, has just written a book called Waves, and it's on Amazon. And it's all the poems that she's written through the loss of her dad. And I look... And two of my friends I went to school with, both their sons have committed suicide recently. No hope, no eternal understanding. And I've been able to sit with them because I lost my son. Hold their hands and cry and share the eternal hope we have in Christ. And I want to tell you, friends, today, if I was going to preach this morning... My title of my message was, I believe in the God of the afterlife. I believe in the God of the hereafter. After your disappointment, there'll be a God appointment. After your pain, joy can come again. After COVID, God can move greater than we've ever seen before. He's the God of the afterlife. I went through so much that I thought I could never get up again. And I'm standing here today because he's the God of the after. And after the pain comes the blessing. After all that, God comes. I close with this if the musicians can come. As a prophecy over this house and to the body of Christ. I ask God. During COVID, what's your priority, God? Because I want to be committed to your priority. He said the great commandment and the great commission. If that doesn't happen, no matter how we do it, but if we don't do this, we are just a churchian group of people. But if we want to be the church that belongs to Christ, that really reflects Christ, Christians were only called Christians in the Bible by non-Christians. You take Christ out of Christian, you're just Ian. The world's full of Ian's. The great commandment, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, that's spirituality. Love your neighbor as yourself, that's ministry. The great commission, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, that's community. In the next 20 years, if we're not in the community, having an effect on people outside the four walls of the church, we're in trouble. Every Wednesday, I work for a carpet company. Don't be flawed about that. Oh, no, sorry. 40 staff. Because not only do I help them with their teamwork, I'm a chaplain where they open up their personal lives. Parents with kids with gender dysphoria. Parents with kids that are suicidal and suffer mental health. If the church can't handle this mental health issue, we're in trouble. There's mental health issues we're called to work and be part of the answer and then teach them to observe all things is proximity spirituality ministry community and proximity 
I want every church have to make a commitment to in the next 20 years so that we can see us make a difference in a very, very broken world. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I thank you that the fact that so many people in this room, I knew them when I did have hair. I knew them when I was younger and they're still here. Thank you, Lord, that they've been able to live with contrasts. Thank you that in their lives, no matter what's happened, you're still their Lord. Father, I pray that this house in 2023 will raise an army of disciples that don't have to, they want to. Do I have to go to church? No. Do I have to do that? No, you don't have to do anything. But thank you, God, for an army of people that go, I want to. Because His love in my heart has so transformed me that I can live with contrast and still stand in the end. Father, I thank you. I know time is gone and I'm just going to say this. I'm not going to ask people to come forward. But while every head's bowed, there are some of you in the room today and you've in the last couple of weeks gone, how much longer? How much more? Why do we have to go through this? It might be a marital situation. It might be whatever situation. We did sing. We did sing right at the beginning today and I'm grateful for the songs we sang today. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it around for good. While every head's bowed, if you're in the middle of a major challenge or a crisis of faith, I guess I just want to give you a lift this morning and invite you back into the race you can win. And while every head's bowed, you're like, prayer, I'm not going to ask you forward. I'm just going to pray in closing. Just lift up your hand. I'll see it. You can put it down and I'll pray with you. Thank you so much. God bless you. Bless you. Father, we thank you today that you're not just a religious belief, that you're not just a figment of our imagination. Thank you, Lord, that it's not just about a crowd. It's about the cloud of when Moses came down that mountain and people saw the cloud. Sometimes we worry about crowds, but Lord, we need your cloud. We thank you today that your presence can hover in our lives so we can have your peace. We can have you present. We can have your purpose, but also have your power to run this race till the end. May 2023 not just be a happy new year because that means different things to different people, but Lord, may it be a blessed new year that you will be with us no matter what comes our way. Amen. Thank you. Love you. God bless you.